So I'm Reverend Bob Moore, and welcome to this first podcast for Peace Matters. We're uh, very privileged today to have two world-class experts on the issue of nuclear weapons with us. Professor Rob Goldston, he's a professor of astrophysics here at Princeton University and an associated faculty with Princeton's program on science and global security. And Dr. Bruce Blair is the founder of Global Zero and a researcher also with the program on science and global security. As we have uh, recorded this first podcast, we're on the verge of a next summit on the North Korean nuclear issue. President Trump and Leader Kim will be meeting next Wednesday and Thursday. And so I wanted to just uh, make a few introductory remarks and then ask each of you if you want to comment on what we think would be some of the most important things to focus on as we approach this summit. We all know that not in the fairly recent past, in fact, especially in the fall of 2017, that things had really gotten very, very scary in terms of this North Korean nuclear issue. There were uh, th public threats going back and forth to push, our, push the nuclear buttons and destroy each other. There was a great danger and many experts were very worried about it, some estimating as much as a 50 to 60% chance of nuclear war breaking out, possibly by miscalculation. Thankfully, uh, as 2018 began, in conjunction with the Olympics, there was a peace initiative, as there often is when the Olympics start. And this Olympic diplomacy led to a breakthrough. And that breakthrough was accentuated by the fact that the threats receded and stopped. This made us a lot safer uh, because uh, a nuclear war can happen through miscalculation. Uh, but also by uh, the uh, uh, a possibility of North Korea suspending its nuclear testing, both of warheads and of missiles. And so this was a very important step forward there was a first summit last June. Uh, unfortunately, it was largely a reality TV summit. Nothing really substantive emerged. And so we've been on hold. And so there's great hope that this next summit could give us concrete results. One thing that I know we've been pushing for in conjunction with a larger national network called the Korea Peace Network is a peace treaty to permanently end the Korean War. It's only had an armistice for all these years. And we think this would really sort of grease the wheels for some real progress, because North Korea, this has been one of their biggest demands for a long time, as they feel like and they're in a permanent state of war at this point. Would you like to go first, Professor Goldston? Sure, I can say a couple of words. Uh, technically, um, what's going on with North Korea is that they are continuing to construct missiles and warheads uh, to have a stronger nuclear arsenal. So this, this is going on. This is what they said they were going to do at the beginning of the year. This is what they are doing. Um, the situation for them is that they have completed their testing. They've also announced that. Their missiles work, can reach essentially anywhere in America. Right. Their warheads work. The power of the nuclear explosion, the last one that they did, is quite comparable to what's on the, uh, the warheads of the missiles that we currently mm. have. Mm. They have, it's, I think it's important for people to understand, they have missiles that can reach the United States with warheads that are just as powerful as the ones that we mm. have. Uh, 
Mm. This is a, this is an extremely dangerous situation. Right. Now, so what 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 about um, what about the possibilities moving forward? Mm -hmm. They have put on the table the possibility of shuttering this facility called Yongbyon, mm -hmm. where they produce the materials that are needed uh, for these warheads. It's not the only place that they produce materials. There are almost certainly at least uh, one or two other places. Mm -hmm. But there's some things they produce there that are needed that they, they can't produce anywhere else. So if they were to stop running that place, um, it would be much harder for them to continue their buildup. It would at least slow their buildup quite significantly. So this offer to shutter Yongbyon is a big deal. Mm. It isn't dismantling things. It isn't freezing their program. But, but what it is, is without their revealing a whole lot of sites that they'd mm. be scared to reveal to mm. us, it's a way of significantly slowing it down. So if that's the, if that's the thing we get, a compensatory mm. measure, as mm. they say, that involves a declaration that the war is over, maybe not a full peace treaty, but the beginnings of a conference towards a peace treaty with a declaration that the war is over. Sure, I mean, I'm not a, a nuclear negotiator, but it sure looks like a good deal to me. Right, that sounds like a uh, promising possibility. Dr. Blair, would you like to add anything? Uh, yeah, let me follow up on your point about miscalculation. Mm -hmm. um, during the Cold War, the United States and the Soviet Union experienced several very serious false alarms. Uh, both the Soviet Union and the United States kept and still keep our weapons, our missiles on hair trigger alert. They can be fired in just a couple of minutes on the order, the sole and exclusive authority of the mm -hmm. President of the United States on our side. Um, this represents a danger of nuclear war by inadvertence right. or by accident. <clears throat> during all of those false alarms during the Cold War, none of them actually rose to the level of the, the president. They were always caught, mm -hmm. identified as false alarms before uh, it reached the final stage of a nuclear decision on the part of the president. Over the last 10 years, post-Cold War, there have been multiple occasions in which ambiguous ballistic missile threats, launches of ballistic missiles, have risen to the level of the U.S. presidents. Right. Presidents Bush and Obama. Mm. Possibly Trump, I don't know. Don't have any information on that. But guess who was responsible for these false alarms that activated the nuclear launch protocol. North Korea was mm. a primary oh. uh, source of this, uh, this problem. It's not just North Korea, however. The ballistic missiles have been proliferating all over the world. Everyone wants a ballistic missile. But was thousands and thousands of them in China now, and India and Pakistan, and you, the Middle East, everywhere. And they're beginning to set off uh, more and more false alarms, North, not only on our side, but in, in Russia and elsewhere. Was North Korea basically doing this through cyber means, or no, no, how no, no. was they it? They were triggered? launching missiles, and we didn't know oh, where they were. Oh, they were testing. We missiles, didn't know where I they see. were going to land, I and see. we didn't know if they carried a nuclear warhead or not. Uh, mm -hmm. Possibly they they would, and right. so we went on high alert and prepared wow. for the possibility of a nuclear wow. exchange. And wow. so my, I, this is the prelude. This point really is just leading up to say. 
that uh, in addition to stopping, uh, you know, giving us access to Yongbyon and, and, and looking and controlling, regulating nuclear uh, materials in North Korea, it's important that North Korea has stopped testing ballistic missiles. Right, right. Because it has reduced uh, oh, the, the prospects of miscalculation. And remember that miscalculation is in the mind of, of, the, of the beholder. And in mm -hmm. the case of the United States, the, the mind that we're talking about <laughs> is Donald, uh, right. Donald Trump, who has uh, total authority, sole authority over the decision to decide whether North Korea represents a threat at this moment or in the future that, uh, that warrants the uh, use of military force, nuclear or conventional, by the United States and our allies to suppress that threat. So, so along those lines, the step that, that, we, that North Korea did not take, but probably could have taken, would be to put a nuclear warhead on top of a missile and shoot it across the Pacific, right. not aimed at the United States, aimed at the North Pacific somewhere, uh, and have the, a warhead go off at, you know, a few thousand right. feet. And why would they do that? They would do that probably because we were claiming, oh, they didn't have the ability to bring right. the warhead, the reentry right. vehicle, to bring the warhead back down to a place where it could do uh, real right. destruction, the most destruction. Well, you know, we said that about China. When China did its first test, we referred oh. to them as um, nuclear devices, but explosive devices, nuclear explosive devices. Right. as if to say, well, they weren't really a danger. So what did the Chinese do? They put a warhead on a missile and they shot it all across China and had it go off at the other side, uh -huh. just to make the point that they, these were actual weapons. So if Kim Jong-un had decided to do that, mm -hmm. so now he shoots across the Pacific and the possibility of misinterpretation is tremendous, but just to make it even crazier, um, the words that came out of the current administration were, if you did a test like that, we would consider it a nuclear attack on the United States. And so we were, you could argue, one test short of a nuclear war with North Korea. Now, mm. North, but the problem is if North Korea could shoot a warhead into the North Pacific, right, right. they could shoot a warhead into San Francisco. They right. could shoot a warhead anywhere in, anywhere the, in the United States. Right. Mm -hmm. So if they have two such objects and we attack on the first one and they survive long enough to attack the second one, we lose the United States city for that. Mm. It's, it, it was that close. Wow. The, one of the um, benefits of this engagement with North Korea, if this works out, um, even if they don't completely denuclearize, right. but right. if they if they accept constraints on their program, is that it would be the first time that we have succeeded in actually regulating the nuclear arms right. of a country that, with nuclear weapons other than the United States and Russia. Right. Arms control for over a half a century has been between the Soviets and the Russians and the United States, mm -hmm. and that has been marginally successful. In fact, you know, it was, it's been a success up until recent setbacks, which we sh maybe should discuss. Um, but all the other countries with nuclear weapons today, uh, there, and there are seven others, right. including North Korea, have had a free ride. Mm -hmm. there, have been, there have been no constraints negotiated with them to regulate their their missiles or their the numbers of weapons or anything else, their missile testing. 
So uh, this could be potentially a you know a harbinger of future progress mm -hmm. in bringing all nine right. countries into a mm -hmm. multilateral process, mm. and it's really important that that we make that step because uh, because these other countries are building up their arsenals in South Asia, India, and Pakistan. Right are building missiles and nuclear weapons like gangbusters. And they have a conflict emerging in Kashmir it's again. It's a nuclear so, flashpoint. Yeah. The yes. tensions there could escalate to a nuclear war uh, very quickly. Yes. There's a nuclear flashpoint between the United States and China in the South China Sea, and, and between the United, the United States and North Korea, and also in Europe between NATO, the United States, and, and Russia. So it's a global problem that mm -hmm. we're looking at. It's not just Northeast Asia. Absolutely. So we, the, the, but the problem with, uh, so in a way, uh, this could open the floodgates to serious multilateral negotiations. Let's pray that it does. I mean, let's pray that it does. Unfortunately, right now, uh, the United States and, and Russia are removing themselves right. from arms control agreements. Right. In fact, they're in a death spiral of arms right. control, for right. arms control. And right. so uh, without that leadership, the prospects are pretty grim. So we need to really uh, focus our attention on that problem as well and try to, try to restore um, a dialogue between Russia and the United States on nuclear weapons and to move them in the prop in the direction of, uh, of extending our agreements and negotiating new agreements. Yeah, I wanted to return for a moment. I know Professor Golson will get you in a minute, but I, I wanted to return for a minute to this issue of the President of the United States being able to unilaterally launch a nuclear weapon. And that strikes me more and more as profoundly anti-democratic and profoundly contrary to our Constitution. Because as soon as you use a nuclear weapon, you're at war. And yet our Constitution is very clear that only Congress can do that. And so we've been working very hard on this Restricting First Use of Nuclear Weapons Act that Representative Ted Lieu has and Senator Markey in the Senate. Uh, and uh, it's got 50 co-sponsors now. I think it ought to have every member of the House. So this is a very scary thing, especially with a president who has demonstrated the kind of recklessness that this president has, President Trump. And so I think this is a very good handle for us to be working on to say this is contrary to what democracies are about. You know, yes, Kim Jong-un is a dictator and he can launch his and that's no surprise to anybody that he can do that unilaterally. Why do we allow the President of the United States to have the ability to really start the end of life on Earth potentially? Uh, and so this is, we think, I think a the in invoking of democratic norms and democratic restraints on the use of nuclear weapons would be a very big step forward. This has been a big secret. It's one of the biggest secrets of the Cold War, that the president is the sole authority and can uh, make a decision and have a, a, a nuclear launch two minutes after the decision is made. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole procedure has been kept under wraps because it is so, so dangerous. It's not only uh, an issue of presidential judgment and whether a president might be demented at some point uh, and, and order the use of nuclear weapons without right. apparent cause, but it's also a question of 
whether a any individual could make a rapid decision on the use of nuclear weapons. So right. on, under this protocol, if there are indications that the United States is under attack with nuclear incoming warheads, right. the president would be notified and briefed on his options and right. have to make a decision in probably five to seven minutes. Right. So it's uh, also a, a danger of just a mis miscalculation, right. a misjudgment, a, a launching off on false warning. And so um, it's so obviously dangerous <laughs> that we have never really confronted this in the right. past. And now it's all on, out in the open. That's the one, one good thing about the yes, uh, election yes. of President Trump. Yes. It's raised the level of public uh, concern, yes. awareness of the There's a silver lining there, the yes. Used <laughs> to use nuclear weapons. And you put it exactly right. Uh, the first use of nuclear weapons is tantamount to a declaration of war against the country, and the Constitution preserves the responsibility for declaring war um, to, to the Congress, not to the President. Yes, Professor Goldston, you wanted to add something? Um, Sure. Well, I think the I think this is absolutely correct that uh, no one um, have, people often accuse, let's say, President Obama of being too deliberative. He really wanted to think things right. through before he did things. I haven't noticed anyone making that accusation of President Trump. <laughs> and so this is a this is indeed you know which whose thumb is on the button has has as Bruce says elevated the point. I actually wanted to go back a little okay. bit to Bruce's comments about um, the number of countries with nuclear weapons. And the fact that the Non-Proliferation Treaty has held that down, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not as low as we'd like, but has right. held it down. Uh, and the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action with Iran has held it down. Right. Um, but President Trump has decided to get out of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the Iran mm -hmm. deal. Um, and if he eventually manages to trash that deal, Iran will be moving towards right. at least the latent capability to make nuclear weapons. Right. Meanwhile, on the other side, we've thought that it's a good idea to take sides in the Sunni-Shia right. debate that's uh, more than right. a thousand years old. And we are now talking, we have been talking, it's just come out in the news, with Saudi Arabia right. about transferring to them sensitive nuclear technology right. without doing uh, what's called a Section 123, 123 uh, agreement that controls what they can do with that sensitive technology. Yes. So what we are appear to be setting up, uh, Bruce had a set of flashpoints, we appear to be ourselves actively setting up another flash, flash, flashpoint right. in the Middle East, which makes just no sense whatsoever. I agree. And I mean, Saudi Arabia has a lot of trouble. It's one of the many dictatorships that President Trump seems to be praising, right. uh, including Russia and North Korea and many other ones like Philippines and so on. And so this is very troubling in terms of our really core values of democracy that, right, right. you know, we supposedly are all in favor of human rights and other things. And yet, and by the way, it, aff it affects the war policies too. So Saudi Arabia has been leading for four years now a war in Yemen. There's a Saudi-led coalition. The United States has been an important part of that coalition. And, you know, the estimates are that something like 80,000 children have already starved to death in Yemen as a result of this. And now they're saying half the population, 11 million is on the verge of starvation. 
And so this is a humanitarian catastrophe that the UN says is the worst one in the world right now by far. And yet we, can, we the insistence of continuing to support Saudi Arabia. So yes, the nuclear issue is also very troubling. And so there's a lot of troubling things. And thank God we do have a Congress now that is starting to step up to the plate uh, with a new Democratic majority in the U.S. House of Representatives, and I think we need to kind of have these hearings and these controls to really get a handle on some of these problem areas. Yeah, yeah. And we, you were talking about uh, first use and how that all works out. A thing we also need to be doing is, is consulting with our allies and giving them sufficient assurance uh, that, that they accept and they think, okay, that's fine, so that we can say no first use, that we would, even if Russia were attacking uh, you know, God forbid, the Baltic states, right. that we would provide enough conventional forces right. for them to feel comfortable so that we didn't have to use nuclear forces to defend our NATO allies, even against a big Exactly, and, and I that's think a that's... a real important part, I think, of our, of our path forward in working with our allies. Absolutely, and I, I'm a peace person, but I think we need to be cognizant of the fact that the United States has the most powerful conventional military in the world by far, right. and that's actually a strength in terms of denuclearizing. We don't need to have this reliance on nuclear weapons for any military purpose. They're actually counterproductive from a military purpose. Because instead of really gaining any territory or any other goal that you might have in a war, you're destroying everything. Right, it's, it's complicated and, and, and at Bruce's uh, panel at the Munich Security Council uh, conference, people brought up the idea of um, strategic empathy, being mm -hmm. able to stand in the other guy's shoes. Mm. And the, the situation now is that Russia is somewhat weaker than we are. And so they view nuclear weapons as their defense right. in the same way that during the Cold War we thought Europe was weaker, NATO was weaker, at least for a first attack from Russia. And so we felt we needed nuclear weapons. So it's a really complicated balance of strategic forces, uh, of uh, strategic nuclear forces, mm -hmm. of conventional forces, uh, and a policy that, that, can, that contains all of that to allow us to get down in nuclear weapons. Dr. Blair, could you tell us a little bit more about that Munich conference? And I know you have led a panel, or your organization led a panel there, and I think that would be interesting for our listeners to hear about. Well, Europeans are very concerned about the uh, state of nuclear arms control and relations, nuclear relations between the United States and Russia and because they're caught in the middle. Mm -hmm. And the uh, treaty that we have just announced we're withdrawing from, uh, which is largely uh, driven by uh, John Bolton, the National mm -hmm. Security Advisor, who's a one-man wrecking ball when right. it comes to arms right. control. He right. wrecked uh, the, tree, AB, ABM, the right. Missile Defense Treaty uh, in 2003 when he worked for Bush. We withdrew from it, and it triggered um, efforts on the part of Russia and Putin to develop new weapons that could defeat our uh, missile defenses, which they feared were coming down the pike when we withdrew. And so now uh, we are uh, hearing President Putin brag about these fancy new weapons that have finally right. come to fruition like a, like a, 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 a unmanned torpedo that's nuclear-powered, mm -hmm. small nuclear reactor, I guess, uh, th that can can um, be launched from places like the White Sea in Russia and travel for 
for, for a day and a half to a port in the United States explode, and it's designed not only to destroy the port with, uh, with a nuclear explosion, but to contaminate the city nearby with, with special radioactive materials. Mm -hmm. So um, there are consequences for these decisions. Right. We pull out of an agreement, the next thing you know, something has developed that is worse than right. you ever imagined. So um, Europe is concerned that the United States is prematurely withdrawing from this treaty that controlled uh, ballistic missiles on land in, in, in the European theater, Russian mm -hmm. and, right. and NATO weapons. In fact, it, it, as you know, eliminated all of them. Um, but now they may return. Right. And they're concerned also that Russia uh, violated that agreement and deployed secretly deployed some weapons, uh, cruise missiles that, that threaten Europe. <clears throat> but the Europeans want, uh, want the United States to try to work this out with mm -hmm. the Russians, to try to bring them into compliance and not to rush out of the treaty too quickly. Mm -hmm. Give it a chance. And that's, I think, a reasonable position to, to adopt. Now, whatever's happening there is, you know, the strategic balance between the East and the West is robust. There's nothing that Russia can deploy that's really gonna alter right. This, right. the balance of, 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 of power and, and, and you know, drive us to rush into some new, new nuclear weapons deployment. Right. Um, so the Europeans um, are you know, very concerned that nuclear arms control is falling apart. So we had a conference at mm -hmm. Munich to mm -hmm. try to uh, work through some of the issues uh, on a stage in front of a you know hundreds of people, and so we had the uh, senior person responsible for arms control from Russia, and and also senior person from China and and others wow. try to hammer out some understanding Excellent. of where where we go from this. But it, right now we are kind of at a you know at a stalemate in a deadlock with Russia, and it it looks like things are falling apart, and we are going to be living. After the last agreement falls, right. <laughs> uh, the New START agreement expires in two years, that we are going to be living in a world without any regulation yes. of nuclear arms. And, the and that's somewhat concerning. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists has set their clock recently to two minutes to midnight, and so we are in a time of great peril when it comes to the nuclear danger. I think you're totally right. Uh, and so we need to have a new citizens movement rising up, and that's what our real challenge is. We've done it before. It, and the it needs nuclear to be global, freeze. Bob. It needs global? to be global. It cannot yes. just be in no, Central it has Park to be global. in, in I agree. New York. Uh, we, right. And that's the challenge, because how do you yes. move people in some of these other countries that don't yes. have any tradition of democracy? You right. cannot mobilize grassroots in China no. and in Russia, no. or right. not to say Saudi Arabia and North Korea. Uh, Western, so, Western Europe is a possibility. So, you know, yes, it is. We have to figure out a way of mobilizing worldwide public support for getting a, getting a, a handle on this problem. And we can't just focus on the democracies right. and let them raise Good. hell. Right. We, we've got to we have to come up with, with another strategy. Well, with, the, with the IMF treaty going away, Western Europe is in the crosshairs of missiles that yes. can land on them in 10 minutes. Yes. Uh, 
I think actually yeah, the but folks they always have Bob. I mean, yeah, there's yeah, nothing yeah. really new here. We we also have the ability to strike the Kremlin in ten minutes from a submarine right. lurking off the right. coast of right. the, of the Norwegian right. uh, territory, and by the same token, Ru Russia has plenty of missiles right. that could land nuclear bombs on 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 Europe. So, I mean, well, there's nothing the, really new here. Well, it's but, all political. But, 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 the, but the same Bob, thing. It's political. But it's the political. Same, but the same thing in the 1980s. Uh, had a big effect. The idea that we were going to put Pershing missiles right. into Europe and that they were going to themselves become targets for the for uh, Soviet right. missiles, mm -hmm. that was a big effect. The, the English like looked at, yeah. you're going to put a Pershing launcher right here. Right. Yeah. But it was still so, political because uh, that threat already existed. Of course. I mean, okay. we it's, could, all, it's all there's, sort there's, of... There's, there's massive overkill that's possible. Right. Yeah. But, but, but you can, but I think having a target painted on you is right. a big effect. And I actually think that the, those states in the Midwest where you were a, a missileer, those guys, we should be putting up billboards that say, target for Russian, <laughs> Russian warhead. That's a good of, idea. In front of every one of these. And then, you know, there's a... a it there's makes it five, real. 400 it makes of these places that right. are literally being used, being planned to be um, sponges for Russian warheads. Right. Uh, these, are the, red, these are all red states. Uh, yeah, well, maybe we <laughs> can take... Well, 95 percent There was a... Republican uh, but, red, and they're, no, happy, they're happy to be targets. Uh, no, but the me. sheep will vote with us. The sheep <laughs> and, and the goats will vote well, with us. Well, the annual uh, commemoration we had last summer of the atomic bombings of Hiroshima Nagasaki, we actually had a historian from NJIT who came, and he was advocating that we actually get back to civil defense, partly because oh, yes, it makes yes. the issue real. Alex. Not so, it might save some lives. We can't yeah. really be sure. It might. Well, but, if you really want to be dramatic about that, yeah. and uh, you want to you know, bring people back to the past and excite them and yeah. alarm them, yeah. let's, start, let's start testing nuclear weapons in the atmosphere. Well, and so <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, on that, on that note, I know we've gone a little bit over time already. I do want to thank Dr. Bruce Blair and Professor Rob Goldston, the world-class experts on nuclear weapons issues. We're so privileged that you took the time to be with us today. And this is Reverend Bob Moore wrapping up our first podcast of Peace Matters. Keep up the good work, Bob. Thank yes. you. Great.